Turn with me to chapter 31 of our confession. And we'll cover paragraphs 2 and 3 this evening. Our topic is still uh, the state of man after death and the resurrection of the dead. The heading that I gave you last week was the world to come. And so we'll finish this chapter this evening and we'll turn to several portions of Scripture. Uh, I have this evening the fewest notes that I've brought into the pulpit in a long time, so we should get done pretty quick. It's very simple, I believe, but it's a good reminder as I was talking to Ryan before the service. Uh, Vody Bauckham has said this, you've probably heard it, death is always an enemy, never a friend. The death is a product of the curse. A death is a product of our sin, and yet for the believer, that can even be turned uh, to something good. It, it's through death that we enter into the intermediate state and eventually enter into the eternal state. And so death shouldn't be something that Christians uh, shudder at or uh, get nervous about talking about. Um, this is, it's a part of the life that we have, the world in which we live. And the Bible has a lot to say about it, primarily the, that we ought to prepare for death, uh, that we need to be ready for that time. So uh, let me open with a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll jump in here. Father, we thank you, as it's already been prayed, that we get to gather together. Um, I pray that you'd bless our time, that you'd teach us from your word as we lay our eyes upon the text of Scripture and we're taught. God, you know the hearts of every person in this room. You know which ones are ready to die, and you know which ones are not. Lord, you know the very moment that you have already determined that will be our last you see it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to make those proper preparations in our soul for death, but especially those who are, who are not ready at all, who are still at enmity with you, those who have not been brought to peace. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, we don't have a desire to scare people into the kingdom of heaven, but if what your word teaches about death would be used to, to, to shock some people out of their sin and into your arms, Lord, may it be so. May them see, help them to see the, the certainty of death, the blessedness of eternity in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To recap, last week in paragraph 1 we saw two distinctions with a distinction tacked in on the end. The first distinction was the distinction between the body and the soul at death. And then we looked at the distinction between the righteous and the wicked at death. And then tacked on to the end was the distinction between truth and error, which was a refutation or at least a, uh, a rejection of the doctrine of purgatory. This week we're moving beyond the moment of death to what the Holy Spirit refers to as the day or the final day. That is the last day of this present age when the age to come will be ushered in at the return of Christ. 
Typically, when we talk about the topic of eschatology, that word means the, the study of the end times or the study of the last things. Usually what people want to talk about is the, the broad overarching series of events that will take place leading up to and encapsulating the end of the world. We want to know, you know, when will this happen and then when will this happen and when will this happen and how will the events be laid out still relating to the end of the world and the return of Christ, but that's usually where our minds are drawn. Our confession is much more personal. That doesn't mean that those other issues are not worthy of our study in as much as the Scriptures address them. But I think this ought to be a lesson to us in at least this. It behooves us to be more prepared in our own souls with what's going to happen to us at death than it does to merely know the sequence of events of things that's going to happen at the end of time. And our confession is helpful at that point. There are a historic Reformed confessions that very clearly um, say things that let you know where they stand eschatological. Uh, historic confessions that say, well, we, we reject the, the, the Jewish dream of a utopia on earth, things like that. Well, you, when, you, when you read that, you get the idea, I know where these people are coming from. Uh, our confession is not that way. It leaves it a little more broad, but it does uh, force us to deal with this reality. We will die. Our bodies, something's going to happen to our bodies, something's going to happen to our souls, and at the end of time, Christ is going to return. So I've entitled these these. Next two paragraphs. Paragraph two, our bodies at the resurrection. And then paragraph three, the just and the unjust at the resurrection. So first, paragraph two, our bodies at the resurrection. Now last week, remember, we learned that, that we could define death as that moment when the soul leaves the body. As James says, just as the, the, the body apart from the spirit is dead. So when the spirit or the soul departs, we call that death. The body dies. The spirit or the soul does not die. The body begins to decay. It sees corruption. It eventually returns to dust. But the spirit returns to God. Now as glory as that as glorious as that will be, and as glorious as the intermediate state is for Christians, remember that the intermediate state is not the glorified state. So if a Christian dies today, or if a Christian died yesterday, or, or any time before the return of Christ, we, they are not yet glorified. Well, what is lacking? What's lacking, and we saw that we made this point, the souls of the righteous in heaven still await the redemption of their bodies. See, God created us as body-soul entities. And so until we have our bodies reunited to our souls, there's still a work of God to be performed. The, the culmination of the work is when our bodies are brought back and reunited to our souls. That, that's what we call the glorified state. And so our paragraph picks up that theme, but at the last day when, when this takes place. And we'll read it together. At the last day... Such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. Now in dealing with the bodies of the saints on the last day, we see here another distinction. 
There's a distinction between those who are alive when Christ returns and those who are dead. So we, we see first the bodies of the saints who are alive. At the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep, but be changed. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. The Bible teaches that the saints who are living when Christ returns shall not sleep, but they shall be changed. This tells us, at least this, there will be Christians on the earth when Christ returns. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And we'll read further in a minute. At the last trumpet. Now it might sound strange to some, but to those of you who read your Bibles, and especially the New Testament, you're not thrown off by this terminology of sleep. We shall not all sleep. You've probably seen the, the thing that says that this is the verse for young mothers who just had a baby. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Um, if you've read the New Testament, you know when you see that the phraseology of sleeping, that's not strange to you. A, a, there, there are groups of Christians who believe that the soul sleeps when you die. The soul, uh, like the body, goes into a state of slumber. That's not what's being said here. What this means is death. We shall not all die. The people who are alive when Christ returns, they will not undergo what we know as physical death. That's what it's saying. Several other texts. Matthew 27, 52 says, The tombs were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, they weren't sleeping in a grave. They were dead. John chapter 11, verse 11, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Acts chapter 7, verse 60, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That was Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Acts 13, 36, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. And 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers, at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now in these texts, and there are others, the death of the saints is referred to as falling asleep. I couldn't find a place where a known unbeliever is, dies and their death is referred to as sleep. Now there are some passages, it's always at least a saint or somebody who Jesus is about to raise from the dead. I think the reason is that the Holy Spirit wants the people of God to have this view of death. That He wants us to see it like, like falling asleep. Death to saints is like falling asleep. At least in this, we're going to be raised back up. The confession is saying here at this point, those who are alive at Christ's return will not die or undergo anything like a death but they will be changed. And the word there from 1 Corinthians 
15, the word changed means altered. So this is not a completely and utterly transformed uh, being. We're not transformed into new beings. We remain the same beings, just altered, changed. Another text that references those living when Christ returns is 1 Thessalonians 4.17. You can turn there with me. We've got the time to turn to all these tonight. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. That would be those who have died. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. There's a comparison that's being made here uh, in, in, in the confession. Those who have died, remember their bodies have seen corruption. They began to decay to some extent. Now, if you think of people who died hundreds or, or even thousands of years ago, their bodies are so decomposed, they're, they're unrecognizable, unidentifiable. But other people... Uh, depending on when they died, how long they've been dead, their bodies will not have been decomposed that much. Uh, those people, their souls have already been made perfect. So their bodies are, to some extent, decayed. Their souls have been made perfect. Well, then you've got this other group of people who are alive. They've not, they've not died. They've not seen corruption. Their soul has not left their body. But Christ returns. Well, what happens? Well, at the return of Christ, they do not immediately physically die. But they still undergo some sort of change which makes them fit for heaven. We call it glorification. Their bodies will be transformed to be like Christ's heavenly body. And then we'll see that more about that in a minute. So that's what happens to the bodies of the saints who are alive when Christ returns. They're going to be changed. They don't die but they're changed. They're altered in some way, again, I believe, to be fit for eternity. Now, then we see the bodies of those who have died when Christ returns. Reading from our confession again, And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. Now, this is true both of the righteous and the wicked. And, you know, when we begin to think about bodies that have died and how long they've been in the ground, we, we start thinking about, you know, well, the worms have eaten them and then they've digested them and they've turned to this and they've turned to... You know, how is all of this, this going to work out? Well, I don't know. God's going to do this. But both the righteous and the wicked will undergo this resurrection all men will be raised up. All souls are going to be reunited to, the way the confession references it, the self-same body. The body that you're in right now is the body that you'll be raised up with. It'll be glorified. It'll be altered. It'll be changed. But souls and bodies are reunited. Turn to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. 
He says, And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. After the corruption of his physical body, Job understood that much. My flesh is going to be corrupted, be destroyed. But he says, even after that, he knew that with a physical body and with physical eyes, he would someday see God. The bodies that we receive at the resurrection are the same bodies that we lived in in this life, except with different qualities. All people will be raised, but with different qualities than they had before. Now we can go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 42 and 43. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, the picture there is put into the ground. What is put into the ground, what is sown, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And we can go down to that, in, that end part of verse 52 and see this, the same idea. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on, put on immortality. What Paul's saying here is, first of all, perishable versus imperishable. What goes in the ground, it can and will perish. What comes out of the ground, what's raised on the last day, can't perish. It's imperishable. It can't die. Can't decay. Can't get sick. Can't get old. Can't, can't languish in any way. What goes in the ground, what is sown in dishonor, it draws for itself no honor. It's, it's literally rotting flesh. But when it's raised up from the ground, it is glorious. Charles Hodge describes this idea. He says, quote, Resplendent brightness which diffuses light and awakens admiration. In other words, what goes in the ground doesn't awaken anybody's admiration. People say nice things about a body that's been doctored up at a funeral, but they usually don't mean it. There's no admiration there. It looks like a dead person. Uh, and and y'all know, I have to say this, Brandon Waltney, he said whenever he dies, he don't want him to do anything for his body. He, want, he wants to, you know, this is the, the movement he made. I want him to just pile me in the casket just like that so that everybody can see how grotesque death really is. We, we have a, a, a whole uh, uh, business, uh, a career that you can go into to make death pretty, to make death look pretty. Um, and, and every time you see those people who are professionals who've gone into this, they've practiced it, they've done it for a long time, and you see their artwork and you say, looks like a dead person that's been doctored up because it's just not pretty. It's not glorious. It's sown in dishonor, but it's, it will be raised glorious. It, awakens, it will awaken admiration in Hodge's words. What goes in the ground is the epitome of weakness, sown in weakness. It's literally a dead, lifeless body. But what is raised comes out in full power. He says instinct with energy is the idea. Raised in power. 
And Paul refers to this new state of the resurrected saints as the glory of the children of God. Romans 8, 21. Those who've died, it says, their bodies will be united again to their souls forever. The body and the soul will be joined together again, which is a reminder to the saints, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the wicked in a minute. Our heavenly existence is a physical, material, bodily existence. That The eternal state is, is not imaginary. It's not ghostly as opposed to real and physical. It's not, not floating orbs or mists of light or, or any, whatever you might imagine. It will be physical, material existence for eternity. And as soon as you begin to think, well, what if I get tired? Nope, imperishable. You, you don't get tired. Don't get hungry. Don't get sleepy. Don't get sick. Forever with the Lord. So that's what's going to happen to our bodies at the resurrection. The dead are raised. All will be changed. And even, even the dead or the, or the wicked will undergo a resurrection. And the next paragraph goes into that, a distinction between the wicked and the righteous at the resurrection. Paragraph 3, the just and the unjust at the resurrection. The bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just, by His Spirit, unto honor, and be made conformable to His own glorious body. So a couple things here. All those who have died at Christ's return, the picture is the day, the final day, all men who have died will experience the resurrection from the dead. Turn to Acts chapter 24. Acts 24 verse 15. Paul says, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Now he says, these men, if you look back up at verse 9, it says, the Jews also joined in the charge. He's in the presence of Jewish people who, who are seeking his death. What he's saying is, it is the common, other than the Sadducees, it is the common... Jewish, biblical, Old Testament understanding that there will be a singular resurrection at which both the just and the unjust are raised. That's what Paul said he preached. I preach what Jews have always believed. All men will be raised from the dead. But the second thing we see here is that not all men have the same experience at the resurrection. It says the bodies of the unjust shall be raised to dishonor the bodies of the just unto honor. Turn to John chapter 5, and we'll see the Lord Himself addressing this issue. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Our Lord says... Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, if we want to parallel the statements from our confession to what Christ says, raised to honor in our confession, that would be the, the righteous, his phrase is the resurrection of life. And then raised unto dishonor, the Lord's phrase is the resurrection of judgment. Now, notice it doesn't say those who have done evil to the resurrection of the judgment, as in the event of the final judgment. All men are going to stand in the final judgment. That's not what he's talking about here. The reference is to be understood in the negative sense of a condemnatory judgment. The King James says, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That's, that's giving the sense of what the Lord's getting at. This is not just, the, just, just a general judgment. This is their, their ultimate and final condemnation. That honor... A resurrection life in, in John 5 there, we also see explained in our confession in this phrase, made conformable to Christ's own glorious body. What could be more honorable than, than to know that our bodies are going to be raised, conformed to the image of Christ's own glorious body? In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So there's the, the, the words from which our confession gets its phraseology. Christ will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. So what does that mean? I can read the Gospels and... Take note of various aspects of the body of Christ after His resurrection. And from that, I can learn something about what my body is going to be like at the final day, on the resurrection day. It'll be a true, physical, human body, flesh and bone body. We even see Christ eating, walking, talking, teaching, doing all those things. He, he, he wasn't a... Uh, a ghost. He was a real, actual man. So what can we discern? Well, our glorified bodies are going to be like His. Real, actual, physical bodies. Human bodies. Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Our being glorified coming into this, into this state, is directly associated with Christ's return. When He returns, that, that is the, the, the finality, the climax of God's work in us and upon us. It, it will take place in that moment. In Romans chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, we, we know these words well. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We see God's goal is to have us conform to the image of Christ. And that's not just morally or spiritually. 
physically, the end goal is that our bodies are made conformable to the very image of the glorified body of Christ. And that will happen when He appears. To be glorified, that is the final stage of our being conformed to Christ. Some people will say uh, glorification, they would say that's just uh, final sanctification. That's what it is. It's the, it's the climactic end of the progress of being made into the image of Christ. And notice, back to the, the language of our confession, all of this is by the power of Christ and by His Spirit. Turn to John chapter 11 again. John chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. Our Lord here is speaking to Martha at the death of Lazarus. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Now notice Martha's answer. Martha was a good, Bible-believing Jewish woman. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And here we learn that the resurrection is not simply a time or a date or an event. Christ himself is life. He is resurrection from the dead. He is life to those who have died. The resurrection is the life of Christ coming back into his people. For the saints, the resurrection is the manifestation of Christ's own life and power being manifested in our mortal bodies. And even for the wicked, it is Christ who must raise their bodies in order to deliver them to eternal punishment. So in conclusion, we have here some more distinctions. We have a distinction between those who are alive at Christ's return and those who have died. Everyone must be changed. Why? Because our bodies right now are corruptible. They, they can't live forever. It's not possible. The bodies at, at the resurrection, all men must be changed in order to endure eternity. Everyone has to undergo that change. All men will be prepared by God for an everlasting existence somewhere. Everybody. And then we see a distinction between the bodies of the just and the bodies of the unjust. The just are raised to honor, to life, and they're transformed to be like Christ. The unjust are raised, reunited with their bodies, and they go back to death, the second death. The resurrection, this final day, the resurrection will see us returned to our own physical bodies. The eternal life of the saints is one of a physical, material existence. And I think this is an important point too. Though it is called eternal, this is not to be taken as if there were no time or space in eternity. We will, for an everlasting sequence of moments, physically be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we are creatures. We will endure time. That's, that's eternity, everlasting. For the wicked and unbelieving dead... 
they too will be raised, although we can't even refer to it as a resurrection to life. It'll just be a resurrection to eternal death, the second death. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now like, I'll, I'll end like I did last week. We should spend our time on the earth preparing for death. The, the, one of two things is going to come to you first. Your body is going to die or Christ is going to return. We need to be preparing for either of those events, being, being sure of what's going to happen to us at death. We were talking before the service about this uh, Pastor Ryan Marlowe who died over the weekend, 37 years old, young pastor, a wife, uh, a little boy, two twin girls, small children. From what we can tell, a, a, an extreme case of uh, food poisoning. And he's dead. Just like that. Uh, and even, even after having some hopeful updates, they, they kind of thought he was getting better. He probably didn't think, I'm dying. He probably didn't think, I won't live to see September. That probably wasn't going through his mind. But he's into eternity. We often think like that. I, I was sick this week, and I tried to bring this to my mind often. Might this be the time? I just assumed I'd get better. I, I just kind of acted like everything will be fine. Just give it some time. But I didn't know that for sure. How do I know that I didn't have what he had? You know? Prepare to meet God. Whether it's Christ's return or your death, you're going to meet him. And you need to be ready for that.